Psycho Steve presents. Hey guys and girls and everything in between, this is your podcasting pal, Psycho Steve. You're listening to my weekly podcast called Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. Today we are very fortunate and blessed to have Mr. Mark Kendall, guitar extraordinaire of the great band, Great White. So, and this is our first Skype interview ever. So you are our, I guess, guinea pig or virgin or whatever you want to call it. Welcome, Mr. Kendall. Thanks. Good to be on your first show, man. Absolutely. So I don't know if you remember this a couple of years ago, I did do not a podcast, but I did an internet radio show on the same name, but I just carried it over to my podcast and I interviewed you uh, about, I know you do a zillion interviews a year, uh, but I did it for JonasMountRadio.com out of Charleston, South Carolina. Right on. Yeah. I, right when I saw your name, I go, yeah, I knew who it was. Right on. Okay, I just want to say, uh, first of all, we want to say thank you so much for giving us the opportunity again to do this for now, this podcast, which is a lot better because, you know, we're going to get to the nitty gritty and talk about all things great white and whatever else you got to promote. Sound like a good idea? Yeah, sounds good, man. Awesome. All right, let's get started. The first thing, I've been a fan for over 25 years, as many people are on my show. How did the whole great white start? People that don't know, as far as in, like, it started with Dante Fox, right? Right. Um, what happened was uh, I was in a band, and we had just, we were playing originals at the time, but when we first started, we were doing all covers, like, five, you know, the Five Sets a Night deal and all that. And then we started writing music, started playing Hollywood and stuff, and... I was getting kind of burned out on the singer. He was like 28, and I was only 19. I was the second oldest guy in the band. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, 28, I would give anything to be that age now, but it was old to us then. So I heard about this singer from a friend of mine. He said he saw him in a backyard singing Scorpions and Judas Priest Perfect and all this stuff. But he said he's only 16. I go, man, that sounds young, but I'll check him out. It was Jack Russell. Wow. And, uh, he came and auditioned for my band. After me calling him for like three weeks, he kept telling me he was sick. Um, we went and picked up his gear. Oh, no, first he, he came to the audition. Then he kind of went off in this bedroom on a break, and I was playing him a couple of originals, and he goes, um, he goes, what do you think about getting rid of that guy with the mustache and the fat guy and let's just go make our own band? And I go, right on, dude. I'm totally into it. I'm, I'm kind of into this whole thing, you know. And so we went and picked up his PA and put it, I had a green station wagon, big old boat, and put his PA, he picked it up from the band, the band he was jamming with in a garage and put his PA, he picked Altec Lansing PA on the roof of my my uh, uh, station wagon. And anyways, it went on and on, and then he got in a lot of trouble. We actually got a drummer and bass player, but he got in a lot of trouble, had to go to this, like, youth authority uh, prison, kind of. And then I was... The next thing I hear, he's got sentenced to eight years. So I go, like, I don't think I can wait that long. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I made a band. Ended up being called Dante Fox. Um, had a chick singer first. George Lynch from then, uh, I forget what his band was called. Exciter, I think it was called. He stole my singer. So then I got a guy singer that kind of sang like Halford. And then I guess from Jack doing good time, as they say, uh, when he first got the, or the, first the judge cut his sentence in half to four years. Then it got from him joining all the drug programs in, in the youth authority, they cut it in half again. And then from doing good time, they cut six months off. So we ended up doing 18 months. 
Wow. He just said, you know, just give me an audition. I'll blow away anybody you got and all this stuff. So he came and I liked him. And my bass player liked him. The drummer said he wanted to keep the guy we had, but he was outvoted in, in the democracy or whatever. So um, that we'd already been playing about a year and a half when Jack, you know, joined. Um, so we just started playing around, you know, we, uh, played around for a couple of years and, um, all of a sudden the, the right guy was in the crowd, uh, a fella called Alan Niven. He actually worked for Virgin Records in Europe for, or in the UK for five years, but he had started a label called Enigma that had signed Motley Crue. Right. And, Berlin and um, so he was looking for a rock band and uh, Don Dockin was a friend of his and uh, Alan Niven introduced Dockin to Peter Minch and Cliff Bernstein who became their managers nice. became their manager so he kind of felt like he owed him a favor so he goes Who's, what, what's the band in town that's good and he said Dante Fox you gotta go check them out Niven comes and sees us twice and hates it. So, so Dawkins tells him, dude, I think you're missing it here. I'm going to go with you and we'll go see him together. So we played the whiskey and on the encore that night, we played No Doctor by Humble Pie. Awesome. And that's what sold him. He goes, oh, I get it now. I see what can be done here or whatever. So he's standing outside of the building after the, after he gave us his card and stuff and said, come down to the record company the following day, gives us his card. And he's standing outside of the building with all these kids all around. And he said, I came driving by and stuck my head out the window and screamed something into the crowd. And the kid next to him said, there goes Great White. And right when he heard that, he said something clicked in his head, and he goes, that's their name. Dante Fox, Dante Fox has got to go. And awesome. that's one of the, yeah, the next day when we went and had the meeting with him in, in his office, uh, he said he loved the band. He, he, he sees a lot of potential, but hates the name. Just <laughs> absolutely hates it. And so we go, oh, no, we got to name the band again, you know. And because uh, it, it's, it's so hard to name your band. But he goes, um, no, I got the name. And we're going, you know, like, what? What is it or whatever? Great White. And, you know, we were just like, oh, my God, that's terrible, you know. <laughs> but, but we just kind of accepted it, you know, and... As we were driving back to Jack's house in his little Baja bus, you know, we're all excited because we're going to get signed and everything and um, to the small label or whatever. And we're, I just go, dude, you know, these are some of the sacrifices you have to make, you know, with the big boys, you know? Right. And when we told him we're going to lose our following, he goes, don't worry about those 70 people. I'm talking about taking worldwide. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it was pretty funny, but, but here's what happened. We used to go, Jack and I used to go shark fishing, and we were out on his boat in Long Beach, and all of a sudden, it was almost like it hit us both at the same time. We're going, dude, great white, sharks, hello, T-shirts, you know, we're just going, oh, shit, we love this name now, because we didn't attach the shark to the name right. at, at first. that. You know, we thought of that way later. That's why in the office, when he mentioned Great White, we're going like, yuck, you know. But but when we thought of the shark, we thought this could be cool. Because, you know, not only does the image of a shark really cool, but it doesn't dictate what kind of music he has to play. As far as, you know, like a name like Slayer. I mean, you, you know, you're pretty much not going to play too many ballads. If you're sure. me. We can pretty much do whatever we want and be great white, you know, right. with the chef logo and and everything will be fine, you know. It it won't limit us musically. 
with the name. So, so that that's kind of how it got started. And and Alan Niven was a heck of a businessman. You know, um, he really helped shape the band. He helped bring out my blues influences. Eventually, the first album was kind of like we we're trying to be Judas Priest. You know, we're kids. We don't know what we're doing, and we're just trying to. You know, like Judas Priest and Scorpions were way under the radar. You're you're totally cool if you even know those bands. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because they weren't like commercial hit bands. So we wanted to be like that, you know. So we're trying to be something that we're actually not on the first album because I was influenced by all the blues-type players. But, right. You know, the Blackmores, you know, uh, ZZ Top, you know, Billy Gibbons or whatever, and... and Clapton and just people that played, you know, from the heart and all that. And I, I was just into that kind of playing. And here I am trying to be, you know, like War Pigs boy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, when we were recording the first album, in between the takes and stuff, I'd be playing like I'm Going Home by Alvin Lee or, you know, some other blues type thing or something. And and the second engineer who ended up in our band later, Michael Lardy, he said, that's what you should, he didn't say it, but he was thinking it. He goes, that's what you should, he should be playing, that stuff he's playing in between the songs. And and I that's what ended up happening. And that, was, that had a lot to do with Alan Niven allowing me just to be myself and just play how I how I feel like playing, not not try to be something, you know. You know? So, and... We finally, after all this trial and error and writing all these songs, we finally came with, with something that felt natural, and that was, uh, you know, Rock Me and, and, you know, that album, Once Bitten. Right. And you, you can know, definitely feel your blues influences, like you said, Clapton, ZZ Top, um, yeah. Muddy Waters, that kind of stuff. Very, very blues-saturated, which is awesome. Because, well, you know, rock and roll is, what is it? It's just the upbeat rhythm and blues. It's exactly right. And, you know, what makes us sound the way we do is when we play together, you know, these guys in my band have all different kind of influences, you know. Right. Like, they had blues guy. I mean, I'd be perfectly happy just listening to Chuck Berry for the rest of my life. Um, But the rest of the guys in the band, like Michael Lardy's into the softer side of music, you know, like with uh, Elton John or Billy Joel. Like, he, he digs you know, really excellent songwriting and, you know, uh, good musicianship and, and, you know, stuff like that. And my, my drummer, you can't even, like, be behind his truck. It's so much bass. It just rattles your teeth. I mean, it, so he, he's more like death metal boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, our bass player, he kind of likes jazz and stuff, but... And so when we play together, it makes a sound just just like any band. Like you, when you hear us, you're going, oh, I hear the blues in there, but they got keyboards and, you know, really heavy backbeat or, you know, so uh, that's just like any band, you know, not, we're not all going to have the exact same influences. So right on. Right, we don't, yeah. We don't email each other our products to do a record. We get in the room and play. <laughs> That's when it usually works out the best, you know. That's what I was just about to ask you. Speaking of albums and everything, the last album that you did was Elation with your previous singer, Terry Lewis, and everything. Um, now, while you're out on the road, you do stuff off Elation and then a mix bag of goodies of all of the other stuff like stuff that you did with like Jack and Alan yeah. right um, well actually that's not our last album that's the one before the last one we just did an album called Full Circle last year with okay. uh, Michael Wagner producing oh right on yeah so we do a couple off that um, we did one off the Elation album uh, called Something For You um, you know we play all the hits we have uh, jams where we don't really know what's going to happen from night to night. So, you know, uh, you know, so it's, it's not all carved in stone. It just depends on how we're feeling. So we keep it interesting for ourselves. And we never bombard anybody with new music. You know, we just, we do a couple and say, you know, how was that? Do you dig it or what? You know, 
they usually let you know right when the song ends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of band members and everything, besides Mitch, does everybody live in California? Um, yeah, but not well. Three of us live pretty close, but Michael Lardy lives in Sacramento, so more up north. And then Mitch is in Nashville. Right. Uh, the way we rehearse is, um, you know, when we change the set, you know, we'll get together or if we're getting ready to do a record, we'll have writing sessions right on our own. Um, and, you know, everybody's just a flight away. I mean, you know, and plus we play a lot. Um you know, we, we're doing a lot of shows, so we're, we're, we're playing together a lot. Right on. So, yeah. Okay. Speaking of musicians, uh, a lot of people don't know your background. Besides guitar, do you play any other instruments? Not at, like, world-class level. I mean, I know how to play bass. I, uh, not, not really a little harmonica, <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't want to get in front of, like, you know, uh, the guy from Jay Giles, you know. Right on. Uh, okay. <laughs> Did anyone in your, was yeah, anyone? I, Go ahead. I can, I, I'll just put it this way. I can play bass, but not like a true bass player plays bass. You know, I don't think like the bass player thinks. I don't, you know. So I don't consider myself, I, you know, I wouldn't even want to play bass. I'd rather have a bass player do it. You know, a guy that, knows bass players in every band he's ever been into, knows the name of, you know, the guy in Jefferson Starship or, you know, or Jefferson Airplane or, you know, just, I love bass players that are bass bands. Right on. Guitar players that aren't good enough that switch to bass. <laughs> okay. Nice. So, so I have a lot of respect for real bass players and, um, so that's why I say, of course, it has strings on it, and I can play it, but... Cool. The thing that right. interests me is guitar. I just, I, I love guitar. My favorite wind instrument, which I cannot play, is that. My dad used to take me to jazz clubs and, and show me real sax players, and because he said he had the best sax player in the world, but the guy... He was into heroin and all this stuff, and he just, uh, it was just wasted his talent. So he would take me to these clubs, and I go, No way can he blow away that guy. And he said, Mark, that guy is not even in the same league and, and all this stuff. So, but I, I really, that's one of my favorite instruments away from uh, string instruments is uh, the saxophone. I <laughs> think that I got to jam with. Uh, with Clarence uh, Clemens. Wow. And we played with him live from, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. The big man. Incredible, the feel that guy has. It's, it's, it was such a gift for him. Yeah. And I hear the tone that comes out of that thing, and it, it, it just, it, it makes me feel amazing. I, I just, I can't, even describe how beautiful it sounds when it's played like that. Absolutely. I just love the thickness and the rawness in that, you know, the way you can squeeze notes out of, out of it when it's played great, you know. Speaking of your dad and going to these jazz bars, was your father or anybody else in your family musicians? Yeah, my dad was a jazz trumpet player. Oh, cool. Did he play with anybody that we would know? Um, Louis Belson, when he was okay. really, uh, Louis Belson and Pearl Bailey used to come over our house and play pinochle and stuff. That's and awesome. So, but then Louis went on to do big band stuff, and this was just like a five piece. So, okay. uh, so, but what happened was there was just no money in jazz, and and you know after I was born, and then my brother. You know, he had to raise the family, and so he just kind of put his put his horn down for his family. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. pretty cool. Sure, it wasn't too easy. All right. So let's fast forward. How old were you when you got your first guitar? Nine. Nice. 
nine years old. And an electric or an acoustic? A Spanish acoustic guitar. I actually begged him for it because there was a uh, a band that played across the street, and I used to watch them through the little side window. And I saw the bass player play with his teeth one day. Right. And I flew home and begged my dad to get me a guitar. I got to have a guitar. got to have it. And so he got me acoustic, and I learned some chords. And, you know, I'd already been singing along with records. I, that's what I did when I was little kid right I, I would sing I would sing with the records I, I loved uh, melody and singing and you know good singers and so when I got my guitar I learned some chords off the neighbors you know I ended up learning four songs Gloria Wipeout Pipeline and Secret Agent Man and played at my fourth grade class with another guitar player who had a Fender Mustang guitar and a Fender Twin Reverb. Wow. A K guitar and a K amp. He's <laughs> <laughs> you so playing a Rolex to a Casio, you know, a China, you know. But his parents put duct tape or uh, scotch tape on his knob. So they didn't want him to turn up to uh, past a certain thing. And my, my parents... You know, they didn't do anything to my up, so I could do as well as I wanted. But it, that was fun, you know. We played for the fifth grade class in the fourth grade, and we had our two guitar parts together and everything. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And then I learned a song off a record. My very first song I ever learned from listening to music was uh, For Your Love by the Yardbirds. Wow. And, uh, the other stuff I kind of learned from other people, like I had a few neighbors that played guitar for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, they played guitar and they showed me how to play some chords. And it seemed like uh, E, D, and A were like in every song, like Gloria, E, D, A. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so a lot of the songs, you know, had three or four chords that you needed to know. So I was able to you know, start my way under the neck and learn my way around after a couple of years. Right on. So, do you still own your first electric guitar? I don't own my first electric guitar. Um, I actually, I had it for about two years, and then I got a Fender Telecaster. Okay. Sold that guitar for $5. Wow. $5. That's so sad. Brutal. I had all these fluorescent, you know, like radio stickers on it and stuff. Like right. fluorescent pink, you know, so I just flooded it with all these like stickers and it was a K guitar, kind of a cheap one. Okay. It had three pickups on it. Um, yeah, that was it. Right. Okay. So how, how many guitars do you have in your arsenal now? I'd have to go to storage, but if I had to guess, um, probably 40, maybe wow. somewhere 40, 40 range. Okay. You, you can only put one at a time. <laughs> True. Do you I have go to guitar? I'm not even really a collector. I just, they accumulated, you know what I mean? Right. Well, I remember in the 80s and reading in Rip Magazine and Metal Edge Magazine, uh, you were a big fan of Gibson and Hamer. You had yeah. a lot. Of, and, yeah. and I think Michael was using uh, a Kramer guitar, if I remember correctly. Kramer. Yeah. Um, I played uh, Kramer's when Buddy Blaze worked there. Oh, okay. When Buddy made my guitars, that's when the quality was totally there. I mean, he did, he just knew what he was doing. Then he left the company, and the quality kind of went down a little bit. I got disinterested. You know, when we were really going strong, I mean, we could we had Gibson endorsing us in, like, Fender. Right. But, you know, as soon as the record sales fall off a little bit, they, you know, they... They don't answer their phone very often. 
No, but um, so after after Kramer, yeah, I did try the Hamer. Actually, I played a Hamer that um, uh, Tommy. Um, God, names escaping me for some reason. Tommy, you know, um, from Snakes. Tommy Shaw. Tommy Shaw. Tommy yes. Shaw. I'm sorry. Um, he designed a guitar that was acoustic and electric. It had an acoustic direct, you know, um, plug out, and mm-hmm. then, you know, so you can mix the two together and stuff, or just have acoustic only. It eliminated us having to have an acoustic on one of those stands, right? And go up and play it, and then go back to your electric. We could just switch it and get the the Chet Atkins type, you know, acoustic sound. That was a pretty good design. I played that for a couple of years. Then I've just gone, you know, from company to company. Um, I try to be as loyal as I possibly can. It's usually I, I, one company, they weren't sending the guitars on time to to the people buying them. And I, I was getting emails like they were, like as if I was some quality control dude. I, I just lent my name to this thing. Right. I, I don't. Tell them these guys do, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was getting like complaints about shipping coming late, and I so I just had to bail out of that. I go, my name is removed from this place, you know. I hear you. Um, so what's your what's your go to guitar now? The go to guitar now actually was made by a guy called Rick Harrison called RH Custom. Um, he's out here in Redlands, California. He, uh, yeah, he's out here in Redlands, California. Uh, Rick Harrison. Okay. Uh, and they're called RH Custom Guitars. And um, we had about four meetings, went over everything, every detail, the wood, um, the pickups, you know, pretty much everything you can think of on a guitar. And I actually got the perfect guitar, finally. Amen. But, I mean, in the past, I've, I've always had great guitars, but it's yeah. almost like, I, in a way, I was settling, you know, because it'd be like the type of deal where you go, I love everything on this guitar, but this one thing. You know, I'm I'm very happy, and he he's just an independent guitar maker that does one of a kind guitars. So he's not even out to make a bunch of money off my name, or or, or you know, like gonna go make fifty guitars just like mine, or you know. So he's just out for the art of it. He used yeah. to build pool cues. He used to make pool cues. Uh, you know, was his art, but he's a, he's a great guitar player himself. Kind of like the Crosby, Stills, and Nash guy. He goes out and plays, you know, in clubs, acoustic, and whatever, more generic. But uh, he's a master with the wood. So he started making guitars, and man, the stuff he has pretty incredible. You know, uh, pretty incredible uh, wood carving, crazy, crazy shit. All right. So uh, are we allowed to touch on the bass about... Uh, Terry's demise and brought in yeah. touch wherever you want I don't care okay. well I, I have respect for him as real as you so uh, now you have Mitch Malloy who was a former member of Van Halen for like a whole New York second and then he became the singer of your band now after Terry left did you guys have like we like tryouts or did you already know Mitch? How did Mitch become now? Let me, uh, let me explain this. Um, the Mitch Malloy thing did not happen by design. It, it was a complete uh, freak thing. For, first of all, last year, um, we, we wanted a gang shout kind of thing on, on a couple songs. Right. So Michael Wagner had about 20 people come down and they were all in like big bands like, you know, uh, Lizzie Hale and from Hailstorm and 
you know, guys from Winger and Slaughter and and Mitch Malloy was one of the guys uh, that, that did the gang show. So I don't even know if I spoke with him there at all. But then on the Monsters cruise, we had, you know, we, you know, when we're just kind of feeling like it on the Monsters cruise, we have a bunch of people come on the stage. We had like YNT. And again, Mitch Malloy came up and just did the my, my, my thing. You know what I mean? So in once been twice shy. So I was at home one day, a few weeks back, and in my news feed, I saw this Van Halen story about Mitch Malloy. And I go, holy cow, I know who this guy is. He's, you know, the guy that was in Nashville and on the cruise. I go, what a trip. This is mind-blowing because, you know, I grew up with Van Halen. I I mean, I I saw him at three blocks from my house for a dollar, okay, at a a junkyard. Wow. I go way, way back, like the mid-'70s with Van Halen. Nice. so I was really interested in reading this or seeing this documentary about Mitch Malloy being in Van Halen, especially since I never heard anything about it. Right. And so I'm, I watch it. I go, wow, man, this guy, he sounded pretty good. Um, on this like original that Eddie gave him or something. I thought that was pretty cool. Right. You know, did a pretty good rendition of, uh, Panama. Right. So I go, because I, I never heard of Mitch Malloy in my life. Uh, you okay. know, I, I'm just out of the loop. I, 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 he has tons of fans. I, you know, I just, sorry, I, you know, I've been busy. I don't really, you know, I'm not a music research dude or whatever. But um, so I, I went back and I listened to a few of his solo things. And now, now I'm like digging the guy. I'm going, man, he has pipes. And, you know, at the time, the past year or so, maybe two years, we we just kind of, you know, and, and when I say this, it's actually out of love, but we, we were like growing apart a little bit with Terry. Just, you know, a little. I, it's just, you know, we, I don't know. It, it, it's like maybe we didn't work on our marriage enough. I don't know. Maybe we weren't communicating enough, but it it just became, you know, I, I don't know. It just didn't, uh, we weren't feeling it anymore. I wasn't. And uh, so this Mitch Malloy thing just came out of the blue. We weren't like auditioning singers or, you know, putting ads out, putting the word out or anything. Right. I just, I just happened to see this thing. So I called Michael Lardy and go, dude, man, I was just checking out this Mitch Malloy. And he's pretty, he's pretty awesome. He goes, oh, I've been looking into him for a while. And <laughs> Also, our agent Sullivan, you know, he he's kind of pitching him to me. I go, what? So here I am checking this dude out, and these guys are already like practically hiring the guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. It, it just it all came together very weird, and and so I I said to my father, I go, well, dude, I go, you know, I heard his voice. He sounds pretty pretty darn good. I go, let's see if he's interested. Send him some music, some old stuff, you know, like the rock, maybe, maybe uh, or whatever, just a couple songs and then a couple new ones too. That way we can see how he sounds on our new stuff. So we sent it to him. And, and Mitch is an engineer, you know, he's a producer. Yeah, I saw his studio. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean, he's done like Faith Hill mix and, you know, uh, Kenny Loggins and all this stuff. So, so he... I, I knew he would have no problem overdubbing his vocal. Right. Anyway, you know, a couple of days roll by and we get the music back and it's, he just sounded like amazing. So we're going, you know, we flew him out and, and jam with him. He had, here's the funny thing. He learned all the songs in 10 days, did not have one cheat sheet. He knew all the lyrics by heart. Wow. What the deal is with that, but that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. You know, we rehearsed for three days, you know, good long rehearsals, five or six hours. Wow. And we were, you know, I made a few comments about maybe, you know, can you do this? Can you do that on on this part and that part? But apart from that, man, we were just like really, really happy with the way he sang. He was a little bit tired. I, 
the first day. Right. And I see that, you know, of course, he's probably a little nervous. You know, he didn't sleep at all. You know, I, I would freak out if I if I was uh, going to audition for something, you know, and not, not putting us on any kind of pedestal like Led Zeppelin or, you know. But, you know, I knew he was excited. So I didn't even really judge the first day that much. But, you know, the second day, I, I hope he shows up today, you know. Uh-huh. He was so he was actually really good the first day. I could just tell he was real tired, you know. Nice. But the second day, that's when he really killed it. And I go, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to work. And uh, so that was that, you know. And um, So you're, still, so you're funny, still on pretty good terms, though, with Terry, though. There's no, yeah. like... Um, you know, he went straight back into XYZ. I really think that's that's where he feels most at home. Okay. You know, because he immediately put uh, XYZ together. I saw a commercial on the internet where yeah, the Blues Brothers and everything. So I think that's fantastic. And he's back with Pat. You know, that's his brother. So, so you know, no harm, no harm, no foul. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I mean. They, this didn't come out of some big hate. Thing or like we got in this big argument and you know <laughs> started punching each other or something. It, it was just just a deal like a, a marriage that grows apart or whatever you know. And and you know as far as Mitch goes, we just feel he's a really really good fit for the band. And you know in every way, image wise, his voice uh, just melds into our music and and uh, and he really puts on a good show too, man. All right on. He has kind of a reserved attitude, like when he's away, his personality is pretty reserved, but he gets out there and just goes crazy. He's like, he's, uh, he's really comfortable uh, engaging the crowd in between the songs, too. It's like nothing he does is scripted. He just, you know, pulls it off the top of his head. Nice. Um, that's sweet, too. All right. Now, I'm very proud of you because you've been sober for many years and everything. And I know you sponsored quite a bit of people to keep them sober. Uh, and you brought up a couple of bands that you've played with or that you used to listen to. Uh, one band, and I know one uh, band that you did go on tour with years ago was Alice Cooper, because that's one of the first times I ever saw you guys perform. Oh, this is going back years ago. Uh, I know Alice is very proud of his sobriety, and the way he keeps his sobriety is golf. You know, he plays at least one round a day just to, you know, keep his mind off of drinking and doing anything else. What do you do? Um, actually, in my off time, um, I play I play pool. Oh, right on. Okay. I played in the World Championships last year in New York. Um I I practice a lot with a guy that's also he's a world, he's a world champion. He's run 400 balls like two times and several 300 plus ball runs. So I train with him. I train with a guy named Mark Wilson in uh, St. Louis, and so that's kind of my escape from uh, you know away from the music, right. And uh, so I love that. But the way I keep sober is uh, one day at a time, for one thing, you know, I'm never, you'll never hear me say I'm done. You'll never hear me say, you know, I'll never drink again or, you know, put all these impossible tasks in front of myself. I just wake up in the morning, I pray, and I say, you know, keep me sober one more day, you know what I mean? Awesome. The time takes care of itself. And the other way I keep sober is um, is by helping others, reaching out. You know, on about seven years ago, I reached out on Facebook and just said, you know, instead of telling everybody how great I am, you know, I said, well, I wonder what would happen if I if I offered my sober friendship or support to anybody out there struggling, you know, with with addiction or, or alcoholism or whatever. So I did it and I got all this feedback. So I started sending them, you know, started a little online group and sending them daily meditations and prayers. Right. And now it's grown to 108 people. 
And um, I mean, each person has contacted me. I I've worked with, so I'm I'm not just talking like a bunch of people, and I just send them prayers. I've actually worked with all these people at one time or another, spoke with them, shared my strength and hope, uh, told them how I got sober, you know. Um, and, and so I've worked with all these people. I've seen a lot of miracles. Uh, one of the first guys I worked with, I was able to get music cares to get him into a rehab in Nashville called Cumberland. And here we are, uh, five plus years later and he's a counselor there so he's gone from patient to counselor so that's pretty and there's a lot of stories like that you know when guys these guys are real down and out you know sometimes i notice that people you know they might be in trouble they might be in a lot of pain and and using alcohol and really don't know how to get sober Maybe, maybe just a post like mine will, will go, oh, well, maybe I'll go talk to this guy, you know, because uh, I don't really know. I, I've never been sober before. I don't know what how to do it, you know. Right. So, you know, and that was my hope. That just So I'm not, I'm not performing any miracles here, just offering my sober friendship and support. That's it. And, and just sharing how I got sober. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't, you know, I don't got a magic wand or anything, you know, so, but I'm, I'm really proud of that, that I've been able to, uh, be part of a lot of people getting well, you know, so that's pretty cool. Absolutely. So here's a question about your musical influences. If there was a musician dead or alive that you could get to play with, who would it be? Dead or alive. There's a lot of great dead ones. Um, you know, I mean, I've met this guy a few times and talked to him, and he's been very down-to-earth and soulful to me, invited my family to his shows, and that's Billy Gibbons. But I I, I would, uh, you know, really be honored to jam with him on a stage somewhere. That, that would just be badass. Because I, you know, here's the funny thing, you know, I, I'm in Billy Gibbons' dressing room and, and I'm just hanging out and I'm a little nervous, you know, I don't know what to say. So I just tell him that, um, it, it, the thing that blows me away about people that you put up somewhere way up high in a pedestal, right? they really know that that's where they live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you know, I'm I'm trying to explain how much this guy means to me. Right. And I, I and I hope he got it, and I think he did. But music creates a lot of memories for people. I told them that when I hear that song, it takes me back to these apartments where I used to jam, and uh, with these guys, and uh, you know, we used to play that song. And it's just it's just cool, you know, meeting your heroes and stuff, and have them be really nice to you. Nice. Yeah, and he actually that night, that night, and I'm still on tour. I still got two, two or three more shows to go. Right. He emails me, he emails me and I just had a flip phone at that time, so I didn't, I didn't get my email before I got home. And I get home and I seen when the email came in, it was that night I met him. Good meeting you, you know, if we're ever in your area, have mercy, come on down, bring bring the crew. <laughs> Shit, I'm going, this guy actually remembered me. He not only remembered me, but he emailed me. This is insane. Nice. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so it was just, and he ended up, he did play in, in Palm Desert, California, where I was living, and, and did invite my family down, so that was really cool. Wow. I'm really good friends with his wife now, and, uh, you know, most of the heroes that I've met have been the most down-to-earth, soulful people you could ever know. And and I'm not shocked by that because they play that way. You know what I mean? Right. They play different than anyone. And it's because that's the way they're feeling at that moment. 
you know, it's for no other reason. You know, they're going to do it different tomorrow because they might feel differently. But those are the guys that made me want to play. And every single one of them, including Johnny Winter, have been have just been so down to earth, you know what I mean? And besides that, they act as if they don't know how big they are. They they don't they don't know where where they fit on the uh, food chain of rockers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that's very humbling. That way, I always I almost get embarrassed when somebody's all shaky and wanting me to sign something. I'm I'm just going, dude, I, you know, it's all good, bro. I, you know, I'm not like Eddie Van Halen or you know uh, Jeff Beck or anything. You know. Uh, it, it's all good, bro. It's all good. You see oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, I don't feel worthy of that. You know, it's like, so you don't really, I don't think you, you know, even on my level that, you know, I don't even know where to rate where we are, you know. Like, we get off a plane in Japan, there's like 2,000 people screaming. I'm going, right. I'm thinking like, where's Mike Tyson? Where, where <laughs> you know, what the hell, man? You, you know, is nice. here or what? You know, um, so yeah. I, I, and I don't think anybody like knows, you know, how, where they where they are as far as it's not like you reach the top and you just stand there going king of the mountain. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> it's just funny. I, I just always found that interesting when when I meet people who I just think are just like, you know, guitar gods and, and they're so matter of fact and don't really care who, where they are or, you know, where they sit with anybody, you know, they're just all about playing and, you know. Nice. So backtrack a little, when you got your first guarantee, as far as in your, you know, when you got your advance, what did you buy? Um, you know, I've never been a big, uh, you know, I mean, I bought a house, I bought, I, you know, bought a car or whatever, just the essentials, you know, you, get, you need a place to sleep, you know, you need to get point A to point B, but I didn't go out and start buying like, you know, Ferraris and, you know, I, I just, just the essentials, man, you know, um, I, I don't need a lot, you know. I, I've never been a person that that really needs a lot, uh, so I, I'm perfectly happy just having a, a great family, and you know, nice. I, I'm not. I, I don't. I, you know, I don't have a big ego. I don't need a you know Ferrari or anything. Right. Speaking of cars, I am a bit of a car enthusiast. What kind of car do you drive? Uh. Uh, we got a couple of cars. Uh, I got a BMW. I got a, believe it or not, one of my favorite trucks ever in my life, an Xterra. Okay. This thing has run, it runs forever. I mean, I think there's 270,000 miles on it. And it just wow. purrs. It purrs. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so... You know, we got a couple of vehicles. We can get around town, get to the airport. Nice. All right. Now, I know you have to get going in the queue, so I'll ask you a couple more questions, and then we'll head, let you get out of here. Okay. So, okay. Next for Great White. Are you going to record a new album with Mitch? Yeah, we've already talked about There's a few too many shows this year that would just – it would just be – too much to, to get to all these shows but right. um, definitely 2019 we've already talked about it I got a lot of riffs I, I've been you know putting a lot of riffs down got some ideas and stuff so that's the way we did it last time with, with Michael Wagner in Nashville we got together four times in this like, kitchen area off of a dining room at my drummer's house. Okay. It, this is 11 days away from where we're supposed to have an album together. And we haven't even 
showed each other our ideas yet. Wow. So days we're used to show each other our ideas. Like I go, what do you guys think of this? Oh yeah, we love it. Let's work on it. Okay. And, and we, you know, get a semi arrangement. So on day five, we jammed for six days. Okay. Six days. We got, I think 11 songs, but no lyrics, but, but like chorus ideas and stuff like that. Well, Wagner, he likes to get the music like two months in advance. He usually goes out and does a week of pre-production rehearsals. None of that happened. And so he, goes, he goes, you guys are going to be here like next Sunday. And I haven't heard any music yet. And we go, okay, we'll record tomorrow. So the singer's just scatting. We got one of our crew guys holding up an iPad in this like small room. And so we send that to him and he goes, I can't hear the guitar. Can you do it? I go, that's what you can do, dude. I, I go, it's all going to be fine. It'll all work out. But we didn't tell him we didn't have any lyrics. We, we didn't have the lyrics yet. Wow. So, yeah, we don't have any words, you know. And he just, I know he's nervous about the whole thing. You know, he doesn't know if we can do it. Well, but anyways, we had the arrangements good enough. We had the arrangements. Right. Here's why it worked. Here's why it worked with Michael Wagner. We put down all the basic tracks with the drums and bass while we played with them. We're not going to keep that, right? So then the bass player finishes his bass. Okay, now I find out the way Michael Wagner likes to work is one song at a time. So we know the song we're going to do tomorrow. And I'm going to put the guitars on that we're going to do the background vocals that we're going to do all the, you know. And it usually takes two days to do a song. So you, in the past, I've always done, I'll do like five rhythms in one day. I might not even change my sound. I did five rhythms today thinking I'm all, you know, cocky. Wagner doesn't do it that way. He likes to do one song. So, so we know the song we're doing tomorrow. So we crammed and wrote all the lyrics at the house the night before that we went there, right? I mean, we're up until like three in the morning and, uh, and finishing songs and stuff. And uh, so that's the way it worked. And after we got two songs done, you could see that Wagner was really relieved that, you know, that this is going to work good. It's going to be fine. Awesome. Um, but but the, here's the great thing about about it is we we hired a film crew and so we got cameras rolling in the studio like for two months right right uh, they got GoPros they, you know they had real nice gear and uh, so you can actually watch these song these songs kind of come out of nowhere like we're writing lyrics while video cameras are rolling. <laughs> so it's pretty hysterical. But uh, it all, we're real proud of the record. It came out great. And we've never, our whole career, let anyone in the studio, no friends. I mean, while we're recording, okay? Right. Um, you know, we have friends and family come in and maybe listen to a couple tracks before it's released or whatever, you, you know, before we're done with the record. But not while we're recording. It's always, you know, red light on, you know, please tape, go come nowhere near us, you know. <laughs> so, uh, it, about eight years ago, I saw this making of Machine Head with Deep Purple, right? Yeah. And the bass player is like pushing up one fader at a time, going, oh, listen to this Blackmore part. And I'm losing my mind over here thinking how great this is. <laughs> but it's done like 20 plus years after they recorded the album. So I was, I just got the thought, I knew it was going to be special working with Michael Wagner because he's such an icon, you know, sells 100 million records, Ozzy, the whole deal. And um, so I wanted to document this stuff. And, uh, you know, somebody just came in. Um, anyways, I, I forget where I was going, but, oh, yeah, here, you know, so 
I just thought, how fun is it going to be for the fans to watch us record the album that they just bought? You know what I mean? Nice. I go, I knew how I felt, and and I'm I'm the biggest geek ass fan you've ever seen in your life. I mean, <laughs> just forget that I play guitar. I, I wig out on how great everybody is. I'm you know, I, I'm just a. I'm the biggest fan. I mean, we played Europe one time with Buddy Guy. I went in the crowd, even though it's unprofessional. I didn't even care. I wanted to see him play. Uh, you know, and I go. Besides, who's gonna who's gonna know me? I'm not like Bon Jovi. You know, I just put a baseball hat on and be handled. But uh, so I decided that'd be real fun. You know, a couple spats on tape. You know, we usually argue over songs. We. We never fight about anything except the song, you know. Mm-hmm. No, no, my idea is way better than yours, dude. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You know, and, uh, so that was fun that we, we included that, you know, with with the uh, with the album. So sweet. All right, a couple more questions. Like I said, when you hear a great white tune on the radio, when you're in the car, do you turn it off or do you still listen to it? Still listen. I'm so grateful for, you know, all the, all the big songs and, you know, and, you know, the stories that we hear from the fans, you know, they'll tell you where they were when it came out and, I was with my first girlfriend. I got married to that song. I, you know, I was in high school. I remember when this was going on MTV, man. You know, it just every you know, you, you, you can't help but you know get chills. I mean, it, it just blows my mind. My wife will be like on the way back from the store and call me and go, "Rock me's on the radio." <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. You know, so. Yeah, it, it, it's fun, you know, to uh, share that with your family. And, and when we come on the radio, man, I just think it's the greatest because, the, you know, and it's the, all the radios, pretty much classic radio, you know, they play, you know, Tom Petty and then we might come in or, you know, this or that. But so it's a lot different than it used to be. They used to play current music. Right. And, uh, you know, there are some freeform stations, but not many. And, uh, so it's more difficult today to get your music to the people. Well, you know, no record stores, no MTV, no radio. You know, all we have is the internet. So, you know, we have a pretty good team of internet assassins that kind of know what they're doing. Right. So, you have you know, me but you yeah, it loud and proud. Yeah, we just want the fans to know that we have music so they can listen to it. I, I almost don't even care if they buy it. I, I just want to I want to go, so what did you think, dude? You, you know, is it okay or, you know, whatever. Nice. Um, yeah. So do you have a favorite great white song? A favorite great white song? Yeah. Uh, the best memory I have is, is Rock Me because it was kind of a transitional period uh, musically. Right. Uh, that's, I, I, I was free to play what it, what I felt, you know, right. and, then, and and one of the things that was really cool was hearing it back when it was mixed. Because and and Niven even I think Niven nailed it. Uh, we have a documentary, and he nailed it when he said, "I don't think Kendall knew what he had until he heard that mix back," and I didn't, you know, because you're you're kind of have tunnel vision. You, you're just thinking about what you're playing, you know, you, you really don't know if it's going to be good or, or you're great or, you know, whatever. You certainly don't know if it's going to, even after you hear it, if it's ever going to be a hit or whatever. Right. We don't know how people can, you know, cool. can call because I, I had no idea once bit and twice I would be a hit. I didn't even know we'd ever put that out. Right. I just thought when they brought the song to us, when, when Niven brought the song to us, you know, I thought, oh, yeah. One thing I liked was the lyrics. I thought the lyrics were really cool. I go, this is a good little honky-tonk, you know, kind of, you know, it's not gay, at least. I mean, this is pretty cool. Right on. And 
So, so I kind of liked the song, but I, I, I just thought it would be a real good album track. You know, I, I never envisioned putting it out for the single. Cool. And, and the, the record company almost practically insisted on it. Wow. You know? And okay. then it, it just completely took on a life of its own, you know, but we had no idea that was going to happen. Nice. So for future musicians out there, such as your grandson, I see him, you post a lot of videos of him rocking out to your tunes with his little electric guitar and everything. What's your advice for future guitarists and musicians out there? Um, I, I would just say, you know, an up-and-comer, just, uh, you know, practice all you can. Try to learn all you can from other people that play better. Um, I would I would suggest learning how to read music um, because the stars don't line up for everybody as far as in a band setting. Right. So at least you can play guitar for a living if you read music. As a session guy, you know, a lot of opportunities can open up that maybe could turn into a big band thing, you know? Right. Um, but the, the other thing is, is you have to believe, you have to be able to pretend and, and really believe that you can do it because I'm, I, I can just remember the singer and I would sit with cassette players and pretend we were doing interviews. Like, mm. how long has the band been together? You know what I mean? Right. We, we pretended like we played the forum. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because it's where the Lakers played, and that's where we saw all our concerts when we were teenagers. Right. It's where we saw Ted Nugent swing through the building. That's where we saw Rush. That's where we saw ACDC. Um, you know, so it was a, it was our dream to play there. So when we're practicing in the living room, and we're done, we would go, Forum, good night. <laughs> That's awesome. You know I mean? and, and, uh, and the funny thing is, is I'm doing an interview right now, and we played the forum. <laughs> yeah. Right on. You know, if you believe, I, I really think, um, if you believe in yourself and, and work really hard. Cool. Um, you at least put yourself in the position to get lucky. It don't have to happen, but nice. What we did was try to play more than everyone, right? You know, um, which kind of put us in a in a little bit better position to get lucky because we weren't just playing on weekends. We played during the week too, but mostly free at clubs and and whatever. Our first idea, and we actually, I can't believe we would say something like this. But our very first idea was maybe we can brainwash people into thinking they're supposed to like it <laughs> because we play so much. You know what I mean? Right. We related it to Tide, the, the laundry detergent, believe it or not. We actually related it. We go, the reason people buy Tide is because that's all they see. Right. And when they go to the store, they just gravitate to that laundry detergent. We have to become Tide. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and that's what we did. And like I said, it didn't have to happen, but eventually the right guy was in the crowd. You know? Awesome. And and, and gave us a chance at a career. And, nice. and that's pretty sweet. But I, I I think that um an up and coming guitar player, um you know, is I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I really think that you have to believe in yourself and you have to work really hard and practice all you can. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last but not least, how can people find you? Plug away. Um, well, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, the band is uh, Great White, and we had to say this. We had to call it Great White Band, or else, you know, if you pull up Great White, you're just it's going to be Jaws, Sharks, you know, you know. So, 
So we, we call our Facebook Great White Band, okay? Right on. Want to find out what we're up to, what we're doing, current news, shows, merchandise, whatever. You can go to our website. You can get the album and, you know, DVD, making up DVD. And it's officialgreatwhite.com. Sweet. So I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of my fans, your fans, and my family, and my producer, Jay, is on the call, on the Skype call as well. Uh, I can't speak for him, but I can just definitely speak to the many fans that you have and the fans I do have are very eternally grateful. And also, Melissa, you're an amazing um, publicist made this happen so thank you so much mark i very much appreciate it yeah you guys are doing a great show thank you awesome man i enjoyed it thank you well we'll talk soon take care have a good night okay bye-bye take care psycho steve presents Psycho Steve on Hair Today on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve. For requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries, email us at Psycho Steve presents at gmail.com. Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow is brought to you by Pearlswag Enterprises LLC. Please join Psycho Steve every Wednesday and Friday here on 